We're in the Late Show Library, and I'm happy to say this week, uh, a bit of a different one for us. We've done all sorts of books uh, in the Late Show Library. Uh, today, a crime book, uh, an explosive, actually, crime book, a very controversial crime book in many ways. It's called Cops, Drugs, Lawyer X and Me. It's uh, been written by Paul Dale uh, and Vicky Petratus, who is uh, on the line to talk to me now. G'day, Vicky. How are you? I'm excellent, considering uh-huh. considering this weird state that we're at. Yeah, no, we're in a we're in a very funny space in uh, in all parts of the world at the moment. Um, let's talk yeah. about this. But first, I want to say that uh, you you have a very big body of uh, of work in the uh, in the crime area, and also another book I want to talk to you about. You did about John Coleman. Uh, so, uh, yeah. what, what what number book is this in the list of books that you've written? Is this uh, have you hit double figures? Uh, it's, it's it's a weirdly hard question to answer because, um, yeah, I think it's number 15. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, I wrote The Frankston Murders um, 25 years ago, but then it comes out as The Frankston Murders 25 years on and, you know, do you count that as a new... Yeah, yeah. I think it's number 15. Yeah. Uh, tell us about this book, Lou. Let's start with this one, Cops, Drugs, Lawyer X and Me. Paul Dale, uh, a very uh, high-profile, controversial, much-talked-about figure. How did, uh, how did uh, he approach you or did you approach him or how did, how did the hookup happen? Oh, look, he approached me and this book came out. Uh, we wrote it. He approached me in about 2012. And so we got together and, quite frankly, I'd never heard of him because I... I don't write about gangland and I don't write about underbelly and, and I really had not followed this whole um, uh, case. So I had to Google him and, you know, it seems like when you Google him, he's accused of everything and guilty of everything. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of like to give people a fair go and I said, yeah, sure, let's have a chat. And so, you know, he we had a chat. He came to my place. He brought a, a, a ute full of boxes of uh, legal documents, and he just kind of left them there. And he goes, "Look, read them, and you decide for yourself." And so once I started reading, I just thought, "Wow, this is this is a big dose of crazy." So there was never a doubt in your mind uh, that that he was the victim of a witch hunt. I think that once you start reading all of the documentation. Um, it becomes really clear that uh, the police paid witnesses to give statements against him. They offered inducements. And I think in anyone's language, when you start to, if you want to decide someone's guilt or innocence, which really a jury is the only, you know, and the judge and jury is the only one that can do that. But when you start to judge, what I realised is that a lot of what had happened to him was never published. And I wondered why it wasn't a part of the official narrative. So if you say Terry Hodgson and Dave Mitchell were caught robbing the drug house, caught in the act, and Terry dobbed in Paul, and Paul was arrested. Now, if you leave out the bit where Terry was offered an inducement to serve no jail time instead of a life sentence, then a really important part of the story. Yeah. And so what the people heard was Terry was caught, he pointed the finger at Paul, Paul was arrested, Terry was murdered, Paul must have done it. But if you know that Terry was offered no sentence instead of a life sentence, or at least 20 years, because we know that his co-accused uh, got 15 and I think served 12, so you know Terry with a criminal record would have got 20. Um, so if you know that, if you know that Terry was offered this massive inducement, then Paul 
you'd understand that Paul was actually looking forward to going to court and having Terry's statement. You know, his, his lawyers were going to say, what were you offered? And Terry would have said, I was offered no sentence in exchange for my statement. And then he was going to let the jury decide whether that was a fair thing and whether that was a true statement given that Terry was kind of taken into a room and told pretty much you're going to die in jail unless, of course, you can give us the name of someone. And Terry says, Dale did it. So, you know what I mean? Like it was never, people have asked me, was it about, did I absolutely 100% believe whatever? But what what happened once you looked at the documents was that you, you just look at them and you go, Oh, hold on, I smell a rat here. Can we have inducements that are offered in exchange for statements and think that then the statement is fair? Like if you pay Carl Williams' dad $750,000 tax bill and offer Carl a million dollars in reward money, can you trust what he would say in a statement? And and this is what was left out of the narrative. And just as a as an, a crime author of many years standing, I just thought I want to write the entire story. I want to put these things back in, and I want to let people decide whether or not the story looks different when facts that have been left out were put back in. So the balance of uh, of the argument was was a motivating force for you. One thing I have to ask you. Um, Paul Dale has, uh, has, has never claimed to be a clean skin, a boy scout, a uh, you know a choir boy, or whatever you want to uh, call it. Was that something you had a an honest and frank conversation with him about uh, in the early days of, of, of putting this all together? Yeah, I think that um, I was I was probably aware of. Um, I think that he certainly had made some unwise decisions with some people that he was seeing outside of his marriage. But like with Nicola Gobbo, I didn't want to make that a feature of the story because I don't think we can weaponize um, adultery or we can't weaponize sex unless sex is a, a big part of the story. So it's not something that we focused on a lot because of it, just because of its relevance. And I think we've got to be, we're really careful not to do that to women. And I think we should be really careful not to do that to men in those circumstances. So I think that um, I think what what I did find talking to Paul and talking to his family and his parents is that they have all suffered so much and they've all you know, they've all gone on this ride along with him. And I think that um, you know, I think that we just need to look at the story a little bit differently. So the major key points for you of the of what you wanted to tell, what you wanted this book to do uh, for both the story and for Paul Dale as a human being? What I wanted the, the book to do in, in the main was to say if, if we have due processes legally, they have to be followed. And if they're not, then anyone is unsafe. So if Paul gets called before the Australian Crime Commission, and they promised him, like I, I had the 14-page statement from the judge that promised him that whatever he said could never be used against him. And then what he said was not only used against him, but it was distributed among the prison system. And he he then had his life threatened. And, and the Australian Crime Commission said, oh, we've changed our mind. So whatever laws are unfair to him and whatever processes are unfair to him, then the door is wide open 
for them to be unfair to other people. And so what I wanted to do was point out you can't pay uh, you can't pay witnesses millions of dollars to give statements against people and then think that those statements would be trustworthy. You can't use a criminal defence barrister against a client and expect that that's a fair use of the process. And the Australian Crime Commission and the Victoria Police can't use the Australian Crime Commission as a weapon. So, you know, this is what I saw as a researcher and a writer was that these processes, if they had have got him on anything, which they never did, the process would be inherently unfair. And that's the thing I guess you ought to come back to at all times here, not being found guilty of any crimes. Yeah, exactly. He's never been found guilty. And then we've got uh, police, like the Chief Commissioner, saying, well, the end justifies the means and we were fighting a war. And, and, and in the book we say, well, what is the end result? I predict that this will cost the Victorian taxpayer this whole thing, the Royal Commission, the compensation will cost the, the taxpayer. I think we're already up to about $36 million. I reckon it's going to cost $50 million. And And people are going to walk free from jail. So when you've got the Chief Commissioner saying, well, it passes the pub test, it's like, what, really drunk people would agree with you? <laughs> I, don't, I don't go to pubs very often, but, you know, it seems to me a fairly weak argument. And I just think this Royal Commission is showing that um, senior police made some really unwise and unsafe legal decisions. The book is Cops, Drugs, Lawyer X and Me. Vicky Petratus is, uh, is the author along with uh, Paul Dalch. His story. Uh, Vicky, uh, the, the reaction to the book and, uh, and, uh, and the fallout uh, from it being published, uh, how's that affected uh, how Paul's seen in the, uh, in the public eye now? Look, I think a lot of people, and he knows this, he, he's very aware of this, a lot of people will always believe that he's guilty of something. A lot of people will always believe that he, he did whatever he was accused of. But I think that once people read the book, a lot of people have gone, whoa, we did not know what had happened here. We did not know who he was and what he was like. And, and now we, we have a better understanding. Because you've been reading it in the newspaper for years about him. And my point of view is always everyone has the right to tell their side. And so, you know, that's just what I hope to get out of this. Look, we've had lots and lots of publicity. It's now gotten to the point where it's generating its own publicity. Yeah. And and I suppose uh, every every mention of it means that people want to know the truth or people want to know, people want a balance and they, you know, they're reading it. It got number one on Amazon, um, on, on Amazon Australia bestseller. So there are a lot of people buying it. So that's fantastic. That's all we wanted was to tell another side of the story. The public perception of him is very much driven by the way the media portray him. Has has that yeah. has that lightened up uh, any? Because, I mean, every picture you see of him makes him look like a thug. Um, and, I know, and that I know. The whole media portrayal has always been down that line. Has that softened at all? And have you had any reaction from the media in a more, I won't say softening is probably not the right word, but in a more balanced way? Look, I don't think so. I think any media person who treated him lightly, I think, would, would then cop criticism of their own. So I think the media are still going to give him a hard time. Um, I, look, I, I don't know that much has changed, but we say, look, read the book and decide for yourself. You know, you've read one side of the story, read the other side and, you know, use, use your own 
um, decide for yourself whether the processes that were used meant that the story that you heard might not be the whole story. From the day that he turned up at your house with a with a you know a ute full of uh, boxes with uh, legal documents in it uh, to to the end process when you finish the book and it's it's done and dusted, did your perception and your thoughts about him uh, change? Given you knew nothing about him when he turned up uh, to to how it finished in the end. Um. Look, we he lives in the country and he's got his life and I've got mine. So we'd kind of catch up and I would interview him and and so we we didn't get to become you know best pals and but I think when you meet him my first impression was god you know you'd have a beer with him at the pub well I would I wouldn't because I don't drink but you know like he's just a regular guy and when you meet him also you go he doesn't look threatening he's actually like a really normal regular looking guy and so one of the publishers that was considering doing the book, when she met him, she burst out laughing and she goes, boy, did they do a number on you? <laughs> because she too had seen the looming photos and the scary photos. And when she, you know, he's a nice looking fellow and he walked in and she went, they've done a number on you. And so this is, you know, I suppose everybody that knows him, everybody that meets him, he's a normal, regular guy and he's, you know, very popular in his hometown and, He's very involved in the footy and the community and the school. And so people that know him, I think, have a very different... He's a regular guy and and it's not... If, if you just looked at him in the media and then you thought, what am I going to meet when I meet him? You'd be nervous about it. But he's, yeah. he's a, a regular, nice, polite fellow who I think has, has handled relatively well, has handled this constant barrage. You know, he did an interview a couple of weeks ago and the, the interviewer just, I was there and the interviewer just attacked him and then finished with, um, well, I've, my screen is lighting up from people that think you don't even deserve to be here. I mean, what, what's he supposed to say to that? You know, what, oh, thanks for having me or, you know, like I think he coped amazingly well for just the abject rudeness he gets from pretty much, you know, everyone in the media. That he's, um, yeah, I feel for what he's been through. I really do. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, and I guess it's supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. I believe. Yeah, yeah, and that hasn't been the case with him. He's been guilty from the moment they pointed the finger at him, and 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 he's a detective. Remember, he was a detective, and he was a decorated police officer before this finger was pointed at him. And the way he looks at it is, he he says. From a detective's point of view, the way they've targeted him, seemingly to the exclusion of all others, he said it's not good detective work. You know, it's not it's not a good uh, it's not a good use of your resources. And he wonders whether some of the you know the Hodson murders and the killing of Carl, if there was someone else behind it, he wonders whether if the police had been more broadly um, minded in their approach to it, maybe they would have got someone for that. There's could, certainly lots of suspects. You could certainly forgive him for being bitter and twisted about uh, the the way it sort of panned out for him. Oh, definitely. Look, when I first met him, I think he was he was so angry and he'd never he'd never talked publicly. He'd tried to give a couple of interviews and his parents would say, Paul, just tell them your side of the story and he'd try and give an interview and then it would be really twisted and 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 he just went, I can't do this. I, I this they're not ready to listen, and I think that's why he wanted the book written because he wanted to um, to do his side of the story in in a long form, and 
in a considered way. And I think um, that was the only voice that he had. And I think everyone deserves a voice. All of the all of the people that have been involved in this that have written books that have mentioned him, and I, I think he gets the chance to mention other people in his book. Vicky Petratus is uh, the author of this book, along with Paul Dale. It's called Cops, Drugs, Lawyers, Lawyer X and Me. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of other books you uh, you did uh, you've done over the years too, Vicky. We mentioned you've done uh, sure. somewhere around that fifteen mark. You did did a book about yeah. uh, Brian Murphy, who's a very colourful uh, former copper <laughs> who, who tells who tells a great story. I've been at the Sportsman's Night that Brian spoke at, and there, by God, can he tell yeah. a story? Yeah. Look, it was crazy because I went to his house every Saturday. I wanted to call the book Saturdays with the Skull. Yeah. And um, and I'd just go every Saturday and he'd tell me these wild, crazy stories about the things that he did and the things that he was involved in. And after about a year, the book was, I think, about 135,000 words. And I said, Brian, you've just got to stop. I can't. <laughs> we have to work on and, and clarify the ones that you've given me. You just have to stop talking. And then he'd say something like, oh, did I ever tell you about the time that, you know, I, I um, you know, almost caught Ronald Ryan? It's like, all right, go on. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. There could be volumes with Brian. Yeah. No, he's a, he's a most uh, colourful and fascinating man. Once a Copper is the name of that book. And if you ever get the chance to see him uh, talk live, he is, he's hysterical. You wrote a book about John Coleman. How did that one come in the middle of kind of the, the <laughs> Frankston murders that you've written about, the Phillip Island murder you've written about, uh, you know, Brian Murphy, and in the middle of all that you do John Coleman? Yeah, it's a bit of an outlier, that one. That was, um, uh, I think I'd just done the Frankston book and then a journalist at the Herald Sun called Wayne Miller he and I had met and he was doing the Cherie Beasley book and I think we were sort of writing true crime books at the same time and then he was a fan of um, Essendon and a friend of his had said, look, we need to get this book out there um, opening a big exhibition with for John Coleman and we need to do it. And so he needed a writer and so I came in and I think in about three or four weeks we, we put that book together with the research from this absolute amazing fan, Vic Jeremiah, who'd, who'd been a fan of John Coleman since he was a kid. And uh, so it was kind of this crazy writing all night. You know, the writer's dream, yeah. writing all night. And, you know, I work as a teacher, so I'd be teaching during the day. And we, we, sure enough, we got the book out. But um, I had written that without ever being to the football <laughs> <laughs> in my entire life. I've only been once since, and that was to take an American tourist. So. Um, but I guess it showed me that you can, if you're a storyteller, you can write even when you've never been to the football. Well, I'm, I'm suggesting probably too that you've written a lot of crime books and you haven't committed terribly many crimes. So let's, let's or hope. I've gotten away with a lot. <laughs> yeah, one of the two. Um, uh, you're also you're also doing podcasting as well these days, the Case Files podcast. Oh, yeah. So um, I, I did a lot of podcasts. You know, I, I'd never listened to a podcast and. And in 2018, I kept getting invited on. And I did a podcast for Case File. And just before it went on uh, for the Phillip Island murder book, which was my first book, yeah. and they said, look, we'll probably have a million people listening. And these numbers to crime writers, I mean, I might sell thirty or 40,000 books of a particular, um, you know, like the Frankston murders. But when you think a million people around the world are listening, that's just crazy. And so some of these cases that weren't even, uh, the books had long gone and I've since brought them back. Um, but the case long recently said, look, we want a long form, uh, you know, series of six to eight episodes on Phillip Island. 
And so that's what I've been working on uh, recently. Wow, fascinating stuff! Hey, congratulations yeah. on on on, uh, on your body of work, but on this uh, on this latest book that we've talked about today, Cops, Drugs, Lawyer X, and Me. Well done on that, and uh, well done on your work. And we look forward to uh, what's coming up in the future because there's uh, there's no shortage of material for you to write about. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Vicky. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you.